We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, March 7th, which means we are 15 days away from Notre Dame kicking off spring practice. It felt like for a while, Ryan, it was taking forever to get there. Now it's like right here. It's right on us. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a ton of breakdowns of the Notre Dame football team heading into the spring. And then most likely we're not going to have a ton of spring access. So there'll be a lot of sort of spring preview ish type of topics that we'll also kind of talk about during that first week of, of spring ball as well, as we kind of dive into really what's going on here with Notre Dame and, and, and Ryan announced today, Joe Rudolph, it's officially official. Gino Gadulli was officially official last week, which means the Notre Dame offensive staff is now finally complete. And so we're going to discuss that today. We're going to talk about the Notre Dame offense and we're going to kind of, sort of restart our spring preview, Ryan, today. We we were diving into it, then all the coaching stuff, and sort of like, let's put that on hold, but get back to it when everything is finalized. That staff is finalized. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk – we're going to have our first official football 101 today, so we're going to talk about that after the offensive breakdown and then before the mailbag. So we'll break that down a little bit today. It'll be an offensive-related topic, and so I'm excited about that. And Ryan, we are going to dive in today into sort of an overview of the Notre Dame offense. And we know what the expectations are. The expectations are to go out and build an elite offense, right? That That's it, right? An offense, which what is what I mean by elite? Does it have to be averaging X amount of points, X amount of yards, X amount of yards per play? No, for me, an elite offense for, for what I, in the context I'm using here is are you good enough to go out and win a championship with that offense? Do I count? Do I consider the Georgia offense elite this past season from the standpoint of it? It, it is anywhere close to what LSU was in nineteen, or what Clemson was in eighteen? No, but it was elite in that it could do whatever it needed to do in whatever game it was needed to go out there and win that game and lead you to a championship. And if you needed to score, it was going to score. If it needed to control the clock, it could control the clock. Did they have 45 points per game? No. I don't even think they averaged 40 this year, Ryan, on defense with Georgia. I don't believe. I have to go back and check that. I think they were like 38, 39 uh, this past season. Well, they were 41.1 thanks to the 65 in the the championship game. They were like 38, 39 going in. Last year's championship team was 38.6. Again, don't stack up to the LSUs and all that, but they they were outstanding and did what they needed to do to go out and win a championship. And that's the standard for Notre Dame. And so that doesn't change because of a first-time OC or a new O-line coach or whatever else. No, this is the standard, and the talent is there. I'm starting to get fired up about this offense, I'm be honest with you, Ryan. And today, we're going to talk about, about five strengths that we perceive this offense to have going into the spring. And then also some, I don't say question marks as, as if it's like a, a oh gosh, I I think this group is going to be bad, and I don't know if it's going to be, you know, but questions in, in regard to to get to the standard that, that we've set for this program, 
these are the questions that have to get answered for them to get there. That that's where we, when we talk about what we expect this team to be, it's focusing on it from that point of view. And so when we, those are going to be what the questions and concerns, they're not so much assumptions of a negative Ryan, but just uh, some of them are unknowns. We may expect it to go well, but they're unknowns. And those are things that are going to be part of this unit, this team getting to where it needs to get to Ryan, or they're going to be hindrances. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for me, it's just there's from a talent perspective, there's not a lot of holes in this offensive roster, right? Like you look at it and you're like, you know, you have a really good running back group coming back. You have a proven commodity quarterback. You have offensive linemen coming back. There's some questions to be answered. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later as far as like the pass catchers are concerned, but like there's not, it's not for a lack of talent. It's just for a fact of proven production that's coming back, right? Like that's kind of where we are with, with this whole conversation. So it's exciting, man. And it, it's one thing where I think you coined it perfectly, Brian, in the fact that there have been way too many Notre Dame games during my lifetime. And especially over the last few years where I'm just like going into a big game. I just am hoping that the offense can keep pace and that the, maybe they have a chance at the end. Right. And the the good football teams, the Alabamas in 2020, like you met, like like you know, like we mentioned a little bit, the LSU in 19. There was never a question of can that offense keep pace? Can they make a big play? We needed to make a big play. You need that type of of trust in one another, right? And there's no excuses. I know I know we're going to talk a lot about you know first year coordinator, new coaching staff, and there's going to be some transitional period here. There is going to be, but at the end of the day. This offensive coaching staff, which is mostly intact outside of, you know, bringing in Gino Gadouli and obviously elevating Jared Parker, they're falling in, they're going into a really good situation. You know, I, I would argue that, you know, Coach Parker getting an opportunity with this group with as much talent as he has coming back, man, like there's not much better opportunity for him as far as like getting the next opportunity that he had after being the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. So he's coming into a pretty good situation. There's a lot of talents, and I think that the spring is going to be a big opportunity for these for these offensive skill players and offensive linemen to really be able to start to mesh together and to be able to show what their identity is going to be. Because that's still a little bit of a question mark. We know what the core competencies of this offensive staff are going to be, but what is exactly going to look like under Jared Parker? That's what we want to see, and we obviously want to see all that growth this spring because there is a lot of talent to work with. The only thing that I would say is I'm not sure how much we're going to see this spring in regard to identity. I think that's something that you see more in the fall when you get into games. But I think the, the foundation to what that identity is going to become has to be laid this spring. And part of the spring is, okay, what are our strengths and what are the areas we've got to get better at? And, and I think that's the fun part of a spring because every team's different, Ryan. Every team is is going to have a little bit of a different feel, a different look. A completely different vibe. There's different strengths, different weaknesses, and and that's kind of what makes it fun to 
to really look at what this football team's going to be. And so uh, we're going to kind of kick it off, Ryan, with strengths. And so as, as you head into the spring, we know what the we know what the the easy question marks are, right? Okay, how's Jared Parker going to be as an offensive coordinator? I would just like to point out that the last two times Notre Dame had a first-year offensive coordinator, this team went out and had a pretty darn good year. You know, 2020, Notre Dame had a first-time offensive coordinator. He was 27 years old. He'd only been a college football coach for two years, right, and and was a GA for a year and, and had been a player less than a decade ago. That was Tommy Reese. Notre Dame went out that year, went undefeated in the regular season, had a very high efficiency ranking that year. Now part of that was – they didn't play a great schedule, but they did what they needed to do. And for stretches of that team, of that season, that offense was really, really good and, and really dynamic, especially late in the year. And then, of course, the last time was 2017. Uh, when you look at when they brought in Chip Long for Memphis, he was another guy that was a – he had been an offensive coordinator for one year. And and a lot of people were didn't know who he was. They were coming off the 4-8 and eight season. And then Notre Dame goes out that year and goes 10-3. and three. And was in a very impressive ten and three when you consider the teams that they played that year. Notre Dame, I think Brian Kelly has. I mean, he's a very small number of top fifteen, top twenty five wins in his career at Notre Dame, and a lot of them were during that season. And and so and then the the you know you you look at obviously the success we've seen from other programs with first time coordinators. You look at what Clemson did when when Chad Morris left. The next two years with two young, unproven coaches, a coordinator, they went to the national championship game that next year and lost in a great game against Bama, and then the next year won it, right? So that's the chat. That's the expectation for Jared Parker. Is he going to be as good as those coaches? We're going to find out. But the reality is we know that that's the question. I'm excited to see what he can do. I feel good about it. But the good thing is he's got some strengths to work with, and that's the thing that you look at and say – the expectations need to be com- a combination of two things. Number one is where are you? you at certain places, the expectations should always be at the minimum here. And then what are you working with? And I think when you look at this Notre Dame football team, Ryan, the one thing we can say about it is it is a very talented group of players. And that talent for Notre Dame has to begin up front, Ryan. You cannot, in my opinion, you cannot be a championship caliber football team at Notre Dame if you do not have a big-time offensive line, and this offensive line returns a lot of talent, arguably the best tackle tandem in the country, a center who had a really good season last year, and there's some question marks at guard as far as who it's going to be, but there's no shortage of talent, Ryan. And so to me, when you talk about the the strengths of that we expect to be strengths of this football team heading into the, this spring, it starts right there. The big boys at Notre Dame have a chance to be really, really good, and it's going to be partly due to the foundation that Harry Heastan laid this past year, the talent that he returns, and now it's up to Coach Rudolph to come in and put it all together and say, okay, now let's go make this thing beautiful. And I think that's where the number one strength is for this football team heading into the spring. I think it's most appropriate to start there too because obviously you talk about how Notre Dame has built its you know tradition and built its reputation. It's through the offensive line, right? Like you could always depend on Notre Dame for the most part historically having a very strong offensive line, especially you know when Harry Heastan took over and then obviously the offensive line use thing starts happening, right? And we start getting all the great names that we keep uttering you know year in and year out as far as the players that Notre Dame has developed. So that's a great place to start. And then it's also a great place to start because there are a couple spots offensively that we're going to talk about that could be strengths, but it's a little bit of a, they're talented, but we still need to see proven production, right? For Joe Walt, I mean, we, we, we know what the production is. The production is all American, right? Like he was, a, he was an all American last season. He's a proven commodity. You're going to start seeing, especially if you're like an NFL draft fan, as soon as the NFL draft happens next month, there's going to start being those top, way too early top, you know, 2024 mock drafts. And Joe Walt's going to be in the top 10 of probably every single one of those early ones because he is that talented. Having him, and then not to mention, there's a decent argument that although Joe Walt is your best offensive lineman on this team right now, the most talented guy on the offensive line might be his counterpart at right tackle in Blake Fisher, who had a really nice end of the season last year, a later stretch of the season. I thought he was very dominant down the stretch. And if he's able to now transition that from, you know, flashes early to more consistent play late and able to take a next step forward in 2023, then we're talking about it being, 
it's going to be hard for any offensive tackle duo in college football to even have an argument against that because the God-given ability of Blake Fisher, if he takes a step, combined with Joe Alt already being what Joe Alt's being and possibly taking another step forward, which is very possible for him, on top of Zeke Correll being a very solid player on, on the interior at center. And then, hey, guess what? We got guys like Billy Shrout and and Andrew Kristofik and Ty Chan and some really talented dudes that are going to be gutting it out to be the starting guards inside. So proven commodities at both tackle and at center, arguably the best left tackle in all of college football, arguably maybe one of the breakout stars this year at right tackle. There's a lot to like about what Notre Dame has up front, and there's a lot more proven commodities maybe than on other parts of the team that we know of right now. I'll say this, Ryan, if Blake Fisher and Joe Alt simply repeat in 2023 what they did in 2022, you're talking about one of the five to seven best tackle tandems in the country coming back, in my view. If they make normal sophomore to junior progress, just normal, and I think that's where Joe Alt is, right? I think Joe Alt is in a just a normal sophomore to junior. You're going to get weight room strength, and that just makes you, you know, that a little bit better because you're a year older and you're stronger and all that. I think that's probably where he is because it's hard for me to envision him improving his technique in, in, in his production from a technical standpoint. It's now just, okay, can you be more physical just because you're older and stronger? Blake Fisher's the one to me that has the chance to make the even bigger jump because he's coming from a further place back from a technical standpoint. And so I think both of these kids are workers, both all that stuff. But I think Blake will also make some of the year three strength growth jumps that, that Joe will make but it's more of the technical improvement. There's just not a lot of technical improvement needed from Joe Walt. I mean, there's little things, you know, sometimes his punch can get a little wide and, you know, you can, you know, the reset a little bit, but he's just so long, he's able to make up for some of those. Things. And those are minor nitpicks with Joe Walt, technically. And and so Blake could, could end up making a big jump. And that's what's needed to me. And that's what I've said before. Blake's the key to this whole thing, in my view. Blake making that that jump in year three, Ryan, is the thing that's going to determine whether this offensive line can truly be like elite, like Joe Moore award winning elite, or is it just a top five to 10 group? Now, that's still very good, but it, they need top five to be truly the foundation of an elite offense, in, in my view. And we've seen it at Notre Dame in past years. The 2020 offensive line prior to all the injuries was a top five unit, and it fueled that undefeated season. The 2018 offensive line, um, not quite as much a top five, more top 10. But then we also saw that unit. We saw what happened to that unit in the in the Cotton Bowl where it just couldn't it couldn't play to the level it needed to. In 2020, I thought the offensive line more than held their own against Alabama. The, in 2018 against Clemson, they didn't. 2017 offensive line was that way. The 2015 offensive line was elite. The 2012 offensive line was really good. It was probably in that middle ground between 2018 and 2020. But those years where Notre Dame's had its best seasons, the offensive line has been borderline top five unit, in my opinion, with the exception of maybe 2012. But there, they were elite on one side of the ball, or one side of the line, at least. You know, where and you could look at that. So it's a it's an easy recipe, Ryan. This line has to be elite for Notre Dame to be a championship unit. And Blake Fisher, to me making that jump and he's all more than capable of it look Blake doesn't have any issues Ryan from a work ethic standpoint from a toughness standpoint from a football IQ standpoint he gets all that stuff it's just he's still young for an offensive lineman you just don't see a lot of guys as at his age as redshirt freshman playing a ton the way and being counted on the way he was counted on and and so it's like we sometimes my point is sometimes Ryan I think we 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 maybe expected a little too much of it and then when you talk about the fact he's next to Joe Alt who's the same age you're like well why isn't Blake there two completely different universes NFL dad not NFL dad at his position not you know and so to me I think Blake has a chance to make a big jump and that and he was still a pretty solid player last year but if he makes the jump I think you and I think he's capable of that right there makes this offensive line in my view arguably one of the top five, just even with all the questions that it has at other spots. Well, and I, I think the thing that to remember about Blake Fisher is I, I know you obviously watched his high school highlight tape, right, Brian? I mean, that guy was playing everywhere. I mean, there were some clips of him playing center, you know, like he was playing all over the offensive line. He's your starting left tackle going into 2021. Like he had, he wasn't a right tackle, obviously leading up to that season. 
that this past year was kind of the first time outside of the bowl game at the end of the 2021 season where Blake Fisher was a strictly a right tackle all the time. So I think that not even just the sophomore to junior year jump, not only just the age jump that he's going to have now being like 21 to, you know, about 20 to 21 years old. He also has now going into his second year of playing the same position for an entire offseason going into a season. So I think that that's going to be big, big maturation for Blake Fisher as well. And man, if he hits near his upside, just if, if Joe Alt stays the same that Joe Alt was last year and Blake Fisher takes a big jump, Unit could be special, man. I mean, I would argue that if that happens and you get just good guard play, you don't need excellent guard play. If you just get good guard play and everybody just gets a little bit better of the returning guys coming back, I mean, Michigan just lost a couple of their key offensive linemen from last year, right? And we're the Joe Amore Award winner. I think Notre Dame has a chance to be the best offensive line in college football if they put it together. Now, that's a big if. They have yeah. to mature. They have to take that step forward. But I think my point is, is that there is a crazy amount of talent to work with for if you're Joe Rudolph coming in. Having that year under Harry Heastin as well as far as like really – Harding, honing in on the technical side of the game, now transitioning to to uh, to Joe Rudolph, I think that that is a very good situation for him to fall into, and I think Notre Dame has a chance to be a special unit if they put it together. We'll talk more about the guards down the road. We're going to have a position battle breakdown coming up probably Thursday, I think is where I'm looking right now. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about just the strengths and questions on the defense, and then Thursday we'll dive into some position battles, and of course guard's going to be a big part of that conversation. So that's why we're not going to spend a ton of time on it now, but the one thing I will say, Ryan, is you can feel you feel somewhat comfortable with the play of the guards. Number one, I think that was an area where I always liked the guard play at Wisconsin. It was an area I always felt – that's an area where I felt Joe Rudolph did a really nice job was with sort of the – the centers and the guards I felt were always pretty good, you know, and when they did, they weren't good. They had athletic concerns. The other part is obviously uh, the, the the talent is there. I mean, there's a, and, and it's not, if this guy doesn't pan out, you're in trouble. It, it, it's not like we talk a lot about Billy Shrouth. If Billy Shrouth's not as good as we think he is, it doesn't make or break the offensive line at guard. He could make it, but he's not going to break it. You know, if, if, if you got to trot Michael Carmody and Andrew Christophic out there next year starting guards, there's a lot of teams that would love to have that problem. You know what I'm saying? Those are two good football players. Well, or if it's or, Tai Chan or Rocco or, right, you, you, you know what I mean, right? Like, that's the point. It, the margin for error guard is pretty wide right now. Yep. And, and that's where I think it gives you a really healthy feeling about where the offensive line is. Before we move on to the next position, just a reminder, we will have a mailbag after our football one-on-one. So if you have some questions, go ahead and start throwing those in now, and we'll get to those after the mailbag is over. Ryan, next I want to talk about the backfield. Notre Dame is loaded in the backfield, in my opinion. And now the backfield here, I said it specifically that way for a reason. We're not talking about running backs. We're not talking about quarterbacks. We're talking about all of it, the backfield. And, and that matters because football is, is still, Ryan, very much. There's the exceptions. LSU was a bit of an exception, right? But football still, you got to be able to win in the in the middle. And even, I would say, even that, that 2019 LSU offensive line was, they didn't play up the middle a ton, but they could win up the middle when they needed to with Lloyd Cushenberry and some of those guys they had up front in the offensive line. But they just didn't play that way a ton. But still a lot of football, you've got to be able to play good up the middle in the pass game and the run game. And that means quarterback play. That means running backs. And Notre Dame is loaded there. You had already kind of alluded to earlier, Ryan. You're talking about one of the best running back groups in the country. Coming back, you're five, six deep. And there's literally six guys at running back. I'm sorry, five guys at running back of the six that were graded as four-star recruits by at least one service. The exception, I believe, and I'm going to check that now, Ryan, I believe the exception to that is Logan Diggs. I believe he was the exception. I don't think any – I'm going to check real quick. I know I had him as a four-star, but I think a lot of others had him as a three-star. And so I'm just going to check his ranking real quick. Yep, he was a consensus three-star recruit. We now know that our four-star grade of him was much more accurate than that. He's the only guy that didn't have a four-star grade by at least somebody. And so if you're a recruiting rankings person, you have that. If you're someone who cares more about talent, okay, that's an easy one. Very talented running back room. We'll talk about that, Ryan. But also a, a big reason for my expectations for the jump next year is not running back room. They had a loaded running back room last year, and there were games where it didn't matter because the running backs can only do so much. 
Notre Dame has not had quarterback play that is championship caliber in a while. And there's been here and there spurts of it. Ian Book showed some spurts of it. Jack Cohn showed some spurts of it. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser showed spurts of it. Malik Zaire showed very small spurts of it because of the injury. He didn't have much more than three games to play. Ever Golson showed spurts of it. Jimmy Clausen was probably the last quarterback that I felt had a whole season where he kind of played that way. And then before that, you got to go back to Brady Quinn, probably in 05. They just haven't had the quarterback play needed to compete with those teams. And and Notre Dame's not in a position as a program to win with a Stetson Bennett. I'm sorry. They're just not, right? And Georgia can, but Notre Dame can't. Brian, can I can I just say real quick, I hate when people comment stuff like that and say, well, Georgia won with Stetson Bennett, so Notre right. Dame doesn't need a great quarterback. I'm like, that's yeah. not, not, right. not the same situation. It's Which not would be situation. true if Notre Dame had the Jalen Carters and the yes. you know and, and the guys that they have in those positions. They just don't. Right? That they depth. just don't. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, that's the big thing for me is they're they're not able to do some of the things that Georgia does at those positions, and so that's why they need a quarterback that can be that guy, and. I think they have a shot to have that this year. It's not a given. Sam Hartman has got to prove a lot. Tyler Buckner has to prove a lot. But between the two of them, you feel like they've got a shot to have that. Now, when I talk about Sam Hartman, Ryan, it's if Sam Hartman plays this year the way that he did in 2021, if he's the exact same guy that he was in 2021, Notre Dame is going to be very, very hard to beat. Very hard to beat with a couple of exceptions, right? And that's something that we've talked about. At times, he can turn the ball over in some some tough spots. But the difference is at Notre Dame, he's not going to be asked to do the things there that he was at here that he was asked to do there in in regard to put this team on your shoulders and go carry it. Because if you don't play well, we can't win. That's the pressure that was always on Sam Hartman. He doesn't have that pressure at Notre Dame. So to me... I, I view him as a guy that we've already seen him play at a level that if he just repeats that for periods of time in their name, this team's going to be great. And then we saw that from Tyler Buckner to a degree. He's got a lot more to prove. He's got to not turn the ball over as well. But the the margin for error now at quarterback is so significantly greater than it was a year ago. The experience of quarterback is so significantly greater now than it was a year ago. I expect the quarterback room to be by far the most improved from last year from a production standpoint. Take out the one game against uh, against um, yeah North Carolina, but the, really the one game against South Carolina where the quarterback play was dynamic. I thought against North Carolina, Drew Pine did a nice job of just getting the ball where it needed to go to against a pretty bad defense, right? Yes. But when you look at what Tyler Buckner did against South Carolina where he just kind of put the offense on his shoulders – he was able to lead them to four, 45 points and 558 yards despite throwing three turn three picks. Yeah. That says about how that ta- says a lot about how how dynamic he is and what this offense is capable of without Michael Mayer when they have really big time quarterback play. And I think that's something that gets me fired up about this football team going into there. The backfield is absolutely loaded. And again, man, like I, I always go back to Georgia for some reason because, you know, they're the back to back national championships, or j- champions, right? Like that's who teams are going to try to emulate and, you know, probably not very successfully all the time. But I mean, Brian, the biggest difference between Georgia and everyone else right now is just the depth that they've accumulated, man, in every single position now. It just feels like they're so deep everywhere. Well, running back's the position where I would say Notre Dame is on, on par with anybody in college football man like they have that deep of a running back room you are looking at on most teams Audric Estime is your bell cow right he's your every down back give him the rock on a lot of teams Logan Diggs is your bell cow every down back you have two of those dudes and not to mention then you start getting into Chris Tyree who is one of the fastest players in all of college football and dynamic when he's used in the right way you have guys on the bench now of Jeremiah Love coming in and Jabron Payne and Jadarian Price coming back from injury, who, by the way, would have had a big role in this offense last year if he didn't get hurt in the preseason. I mean, the depth that they've accumulated at the running back spot in a couple years here, it's insane, man. It really is. There's a couple good football players who are going to be sitting on the bench this year just because they just can't crack that lineup because it's so good. I've had multiple scouts during this past season 
ask me about, yo, who's this seven kid, man? Like, who's who's that kid? Who's number three? Like, who are those cats? And I'm just like, yeah, man, they're going to be pretty good, but they're not draft eligible now. So you need to you need to wait at least another year, right? But then you got Chris Tyree, like I said, another guy that you know has had production when he's gotten opportunities. But at the end of the day, Brian, I mean, I think you you coined it perfectly, right? The the outlook of the quarterback position from one offseason, just one offseason to the next, is so dramatic how much this shift has happened, man. Last year, we're looking, we're like, okay, we think Tyler Buckner's going to be really good if he can stay healthy. Cool. After that, you're like, okay, Drew Pine, solid backup, right? You have Steve Angeli, who's a true freshman. We're sitting here and like Sam Hartman, who was the ACC all-time leading touchdown passer. I mean, again, I just keep putting that out there. It's like, I don't think people talk about that enough. He threw 110 touchdowns in his career. And you also have Tyler Buckner coming back. You also have Kenny Minchie coming in, who I know, you know, at least both of us are very high on as a quarterback recruit. And we think that he could be a very good player at the next level. And you also have Steve Angeli. I mean, you in the bowl game, you were one bad play away from Steve Angeli being the quarterback. And, and now Ron we're Paulus the third being the number two. Right. And now you're in a battle this offseason of Steve Angeli potentially being the third quarterback, but having the battle to be that third quarterback. Right. Like it's not just going to be handed to him at right. the end of the day. He may very well might end up being that guy, but ultimately, man, the just the depth of both running back and well, running back over the last couple of years, and then but then quarterback just this past offseason, it's dramatic how quickly things have turned around. And you have to be excited about it. You have to be because this is this is the best I have felt about those positions together in a few years now as Long far as like nine. proven commodities, guys that you yeah. know are good football players. You know Logan Diggs is a good player. You know Audric Estime is a good player. You know what Sam Hartman is. You know those things, and that matters in this type of transition. It's it's an interesting dynamic, Ryan, because it wasn't that long ago, and I wrote this in the strengths article that I did, wasn't that long ago, we were talking about running back being arguably the worst position group on the team. And that not long ago was 2019, where it was Tony Jones and then a bunch of, what? You had Kyron Williams as a true freshman that Brian Kelly wouldn't let Chip Long play because he didn't want to blow his red shirt. You had Sebo Flemister and Jameer Smith, who were nice players, but they were bottom of my recruiting class rankings guys. Nice players, but meant to be number threes and fours, not number twos or maybe number ones if Tony Jones gets hurt. And now you're now you fast forward to 2023 and you're talking about one of the five best backfields in the entire country in my opinion when you talk about top to bottom and and, and look this is a debate i was having somebody else the other day no notre dame does not have a travion henderson when he's healthy on their roster they don't have a Bijan robinson on their roster but i don't i don't think you need that georgia didn't have that guy last i'll, I'll say this ryan and, and you can disagree with me if you want i would not trade georgia's backfield last year for notre dame's this year i wouldn't no. No. quarterback and running back i wouldn't now mm. yes stetson bennett this Put Stetson Bennett at Wake Forest and Sam Hartman at, at Georgia, and you're telling me that you don't think Georgia wins back-to-back state national championships? Sam Hartman's a better player than Stetson Bennett. Right. I'll put it in the universe. Right. And this is, is not this isn't yeah. knocking Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett did what he needed to do, and this year especially, Ryan, he had some moments where, like the Ohio State game, the second half, I didn't think he played very well in the first half. Second half, he's going toe to toe with C.J. Stroud, and he's making the plays to help that team win that football game. Right. He made the throws he needed to put TCU away early. So I'm not bang, I'm not one of those people that likes to I like to joke about his age, <laughs> but uh, I'm not someone who's he sucks. as a, I'm not that person. He's a good he, college quarterback. He, he turned himself into a very yes, good college quarterback by the end. He did. Yes. absolutely. Now he had a lot of time to get there. I mean, 100%. let's not pretend that that's not a reality of the situation, but he's not Drew Pine. He's not, you know, Jacob Coker even. Right. And that's, you know, Alabama can win with a Jacob Coker. They can win a championship with a Greg McElroy. Notre Dame can't. That's a reality. And so they need a big time quarterback, but then also to have the running back depth with that offensive line. Because if you have an elite offensive line, but then you don't have a really good running backs or you have a great running backs, but not a great offensive offensive line, then you're not going to have a great running game situation. The fact that Notre Dame looks to be um, so good at both that you, you look into it, you're, you feel really good about where this team is going to be. You're really yeah. going to be it, – it's got a chance to be loaded. Now, the third strength, Ryan, is – so we're going to do three kind of personnel strengths and then two sort of quality offense strengths. 
The third personnel strength is interesting because we're going to talk a little bit about it in the next segment too, where we talk about concerns and that is perimeter talent, perimeter, the perimeter positions, wide receivers and tight ends. We're going to, we're going to get into some of the question marks in a second, but the one thing that, that I don't think you can deny going into the season, Ryan, is, is take, take the conversation of production and experience away. Cause we're not talking about that per se, just looking at the God given ability, the size, the length, the athleticism of this unit this is a very deep, very talented group of skill players. And I'm talking about receivers and tight ends. Is there a Michael Mayer in the group? That we'll address here in a minute. But there's no doubt that this group has tons of length, tons of athleticism, tons of talent. They got to put it all together. But you're working with a very, very good baseline of, 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 of that size, speed, potential conversation here, Ryan. That hasn't been there in past years when Notre Dame is really good. I would not trade the 2018 receiving core for this one. I think Miles Boykin, as far as where we were at this time, now Miles Boykin had a breakout and all that, but it was three guys and then not a lot else after that, right? Yeah. Yep. So uh, 17 for sure, I'm not trading, right? 19, maybe I might trade that one because you had some guys, they didn't always use them, but you had some guys. But the point is, this has got a chance to be a really, really good receiving core. They got a lot to prove, which we'll get into here in the next segment. But man, I like the talent of this group. And it's big. It's a big group. You got a lot of guys that are 6'2 plus, man. 6'1 and a half, 6'2 plus. Where last year, you kind of had like really no one like that in the rotation early. Eventually, Tobias and Dion got in the conversation. But this is going to be, I mean, you you got got Dion and Tobias coming back. You add 6'2 Caleb Smith. You add six three Braylon James. You add you, you you add some of that size into it, and now all of a sudden you're talking about a group that has a chance to be really big. And Notre Dame's not going to be small at tight end without Michael Mayer. No, I mean you know Mitchell Evans is a big boy. Holy he's he's, gonna get he's bigger. bigger. He's bigger than Michael Mayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Mitchell Evans is a bigger Taller player for than sure. Mayer. And, yeah. And higher, yeah, yes, absolutely. So, man, I'm excited about what this group can be. We'll, we'll get into some of the question marks next, but man, this group has a chance to be really good. I mean, I think I, I've, I've joked about this before on this show, but this is like there's going to be so there's going to be NFL scouts that are going to be coming in the spring practice to do measurements and all that good stuff, right? They're going to walk around, Brian, and, and pass some of these wide receivers and be like, "Who the heck's that kid? Who's this? <laughs> like, who is that? <laughs> Why is there so many of them?" That's what they're going to say, man. Because you're going to see you're going to walk by six five, two hundred plus pound Deion Colsey, right? And then you're going to be like, "Wow, that's impressive." And you're going to walk by six four, two hundred pound Tobias Merriweather. Wow. And then you're going to walk by. I mean, I just heard a little something on Braylon James the other day, right? Around, you know, he's a little over six foot two, 200 pounds, and he is testing lights out this spring, right? And you're going to walk by a second and be like, who's that kid? And you're going to be like, he's a freshman, man. Oh, and by the way, you know, Jaden Greathouse, 6'1, 210 pounds. And people are like, oh, he's smaller than we thought. I'm like, he's still 6'1, 210 pounds. Yeah. He's a big dude, man. Oh, by the way, oh, you're, 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 we had him listed at 6'2. It's not yeah. like he went from 6'3 and a half to 6'1. I had some people exactly. say, I thought he was 6'3. I was like, whoever listed Jalen's Jaden Greathouse at 6'3? I never saw anybody listen to 6'3. Nah, he was we always like 6'1 and a half. Yeah, two, we listed him yeah. at what, 6'2, 210? Yes. And he's checked in. He's a little over 6'1 and what, 210? Two, two yeah, 208, 210. Something like that. Yeah. Park. Yeah. yeah, it's about and, where he is. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
And, and the crazy part too is Brian, you have such a massive group too. It's like your potential starting slot receiver and Jaden and Jaden Thomas is also 6'2", 215. <laughs> like it's wild, right. man. Right. And then M- Mitchell Evans he was your man. big guy at the beginning of last year. Jaden Thomas was your big guy. He's gonna be yeah. like the fourth biggest guy in the rotation this year. All, right? all crazy. All of a sudden, your small guy is like Lorenzo Styles, who's 6'1", 195. It's just like, that's pretty big still. Like, that's right. decent size. But and uh, Mitchell Evans is a great one because I do think Mitchell Evans is going to take a big jump this spring, you know, having the full offseason healthy and the winter workout, all that great stuff. That kid is 6'6", 250-plus pounds already, man. Like, he's going to be a big old kid. 100% last year yeah. ever because he missed the whole offseason with a, was it a foot injury, right? So – he for him, he looked good in the bowl game. I mean, as we've said, he had three catches for like 36, 39 yards, a touchdown. But as I've mentioned before, if you were at that game, you saw Mitchell Evans getting open for maybe a couple, three, four other catches where he could have had, including a seam route down down the you know down the right side. But the other guys were open, or the pressure, or he was the number three read that Tyler never got to. The point is, he was getting himself open. Yeah, and so. He showed me something. Holden Stace showed me something. Those are going to be the two guys I'm watching this spring. I do not expect to see Eli Raritan this spring, so we're not going to spend a lot of time about him. But when we get into the fall, if Eli Raritan ever comes back healthy, I'm not even thinking of Eli Raritan in this conversation right now because of the knee. And and that's the thing to get you kind of fired up about it. But he's another kid that even him, he's he's a little over 6'6", and he's 240-something pounds already. It's like right. the, these guys – a lot of guys that were kind of built on different planets, man. Then what I'm, what I am used to at Notre Dame. I mean, people are going to make jokes about like Matt Salerno. Like Matt Salerno is your smallest receiver comfortably, and even right. he's like five eleven something, like one hundred ninety something pounds. Like even he's not that small. Right. I mean, it's not like we're talking about like a five eight, one hundred seventy five pound slot receiver. I mean, you or you even have, Chris Fink. I mean, he's a good two so, inches taller than Chris Fink was coming out, and Chris exactly. Fink is a good football player for Notre Dame. He was. He was. Yeah. So uh, talent is there. We just got to see him put it all together. That's I, 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 I forgot to say Caleb Smith too is another six two two twenty something. Well, I had mentioned him when I was talking about all the big guys. You know, you yeah. had him, K, the the transfer version of Caleb Smith. We have to, yes. you know, what um, I don't want to see like because yeah. like I watched this show called The Chosen. Right, yeah. it's about uh, Jesus and the and him calling the apostles. And they had two Jameses, if you remember, the 12 apostles, two guys named James. And in the show, they call him Big James and Little James. And I'm like, I'm not calling the other Caleb Smith Little Caleb. I just, it's, I it's find KK, that just man. like, so, yeah, I'm, just not, I'm not calling him KK either, man. I'm not, I just don't know him like that yet. I'm like, he's going to have to make a couple plays before I call him KK. But, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of talent. And, there, and, and again, we're not talking about him in this show because he's not an early enrollee. So he's not going to be a guy that we're going to discuss this spring. But I, I love the town. And the good news is, even though the full freshman class doesn't show up yet, three of the four do. Yes. So you're going to have plenty of numbers this spring. And and that's what I that's what I like. So when I talk about Caleb Smith for right now, I'm talking about the transfer. That's just that's just, you know, that's just, you know, old Caleb, young Caleb. That's about the only way I'm going to go with that one. But uh, you could call him KJ, I, I think, like Caleb Jr. or something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so that's the personnel aspect of it right here's here's number four and now we get into some of the non-personnel things per se i mean everything's built around personnel your 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 non-personnel things are are the way they are because your personnel executes but we're talking about a focus on other things number one is i expect the notre dame red zone to be really good this spring ryan and i'm really looking forward to seeing them put more emphasis on it because they were a pretty darn good red zone team last year uh, they ranked 19th last year in red zone touchdown rate. Now their overall red zone success rate wasn't as good because their field goal kicking situation was a bit of a mess. And hopefully, you know, that's one area Marty Biagi has done really well in his tenure as a special teams coach. And you hope that he can get that corrected because unlike most special teams coaches, he actually is a former kicker and you don't often see that with special teams coaches. So hopefully you can get that part going, you know, and then you look at uh, you look at Jared Parker was his primary focus as the offensive coordinator at West Virginia was on the red zone. When 2021, West Virginia had the 19th ranked special team or a red zone offense in the country. So you look at the foundation that they laid with Coach Reese. You look at what Jared Parker's inheriting. You look at his track record of someone who had a, an emphasis in red zone and they had success with not anywhere close to the talent that Notre Dame is going to have on offense. It's not even close, folks. And how do you pronounce that quarterback's name for for, oh, for West Jared, Virginia? Jared Dagey. Dagey. Okay. Yeah. Jared Dagey and Sam Hartman 
light years difference. And that's not no disrespect to Jarrett Dagey, but it's just it's not even close. They're about the same size, if that counts. Right. So, uh, you know, I I look at it, Ryan, and I say there's no reason for us to think that it's not going to get better because, A, it was really good last year when it came to putting balls in the end zone. The offense did everything it could when it got there to be successful, especially, you know, maybe you close out on a few more touchdowns so your special teams doesn't have to be as effective and, and you can improve on it for sure. But when you're 19th in the country and, and trips into the red zone ending in touchdowns, you're pretty good there. That's a strength of your football team. And and so now the key is, okay, now you need to get to the red zone more often. That's that's the thing for this offense, right? Get there more often. But when they get there, they were pretty good. Yep. Then you have Jared Parker's experience. And the other thing that I think is going to help them too this year is, who are you as a defense focusing on in the red zone this year? It, we knew who it was last year. Yeah. And it was, if you could stop Michael Mayer, you had a chance to stop their name's red zone offense. You don't know who that guy's going to be this year. And I also expect the run game to be even better this year because of the experience and the maturity and some of the other things that we're going to see from, from those other guys. So I expect more balance. And that size we mentioned earlier, Ryan, that they didn't have early, they weren't using Tobias. They weren't using Deion Colsey. I'll be shocked and disappointed if we don't see more concepts to use the size of the receivers on offense. Now, that's everybody has this thing of you're six five, just throw them fades. Well, you can't always just run fades all the time, right? Because you're yeah. gonna face some good teams that are good enough to take that away. So it's 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 fades, it's it's getting those big guys in space with some movement, uh running more overs, more I love mesh stuff in the red zone because you tend to get a lot more man in the red zone with a lot yes. of teams. Uh, then you do zone. Uh, it's using your size from the – I like teams that can wisely use their size from the slot. So running like outs and corners where you can kind of throw it up and have a little bit more room where it's a lot harder to ride a corner route out of bounds than it is a fade. You can ride a fade out of bounds if you're a pretty good guy. Like Keely Ringo in the red zone, you're going to have a hard time beating him on a fade because he's so physical and he can just push you out of bounds. Cam Hart's a guy you're going to have a hard time beating for a fade. So when you face those guys, how do you how do you have success with fade routes? Well, use guys to run them from the slot, wide fades, corner routes. You know, using those guys from slot positions, and then more backline stuff. I think is another thing I'd like to see. There, remember, I used to love watching Brady Quinn on those backline routes, Ryan, because you're just like you know it's coming, and there's nothing you can do about it because Brady had this really good skill of being able to throw the ball at like. 10 feet high, just under the goalpost, knowing that Stovall and Samarja were the only people on the field that could catch that football. And I'd like to see them incorporate some of that this year with with Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather on those routes as well. So there's just a lot of different concepts where you have size, use it. You know, I I think a guy from about the 12-yard line, 15-yard line, Jaden Thomas running wide fades from the slot could be really hard to defend. And so, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this red zone package could be. So even though they were 19th last year, Ryan, I think they have way more weapons, red zone weapons to work with this year, plus better quarterback play. That's why I say I'm excited about what this red zone offense could be. And then hopefully this spring, they can really enhance it, which then puts pressure on the defense to actually not be terrible in the red zone because they were literally the worst red zone defense in the country last year, literally. And so hopefully if the offense can really focus on that this spring and continue to get better, it'll just by nature make the defense better as well. Everything about Notre Dame says that they should be really good in the red zone, to your point. Like everything about them. I mean, you mentioned the size of the receivers, right? Like we, we talked about Dion at 6'5". We talked about Tobias at 6'4". We've talked about Mitchell Evans at 6'6". You talked about Jane Thomas at 6'2", 215. Caleb Smith at 6'2", 220. The freshman coming in. They have all the size outside. I mean, even Holden Stace is six foot four is your potential second tight end, right? I mean, you have size all over the place, but also you have a powerful offensive line in theory. I think Notre Dame's offensive line, if anything, I think is going to be a very physical unit in 2023. And you also have, by the way, 227 pounds and 214 pound running backs in the backfield that can be like hammers in the run game. So you should be able to run the football, I believe, in that in those instances. You should be able to take advantage of your size. And, I mean, I don't know, Brian. Like, there might be even a little bit of a package at times where you're like, hey, Tyler Buckner, you're in the red zone, dog, because what stinks in the red zone as a defense? Having to defend a running quarterback. That yeah. stinks, man. Yeah. That stinks. I could certainly see that as, like, maybe once you get inside the 10, yeah. especially. Uh, yeah, I would love to see that. 
I would love to see that as a as a package in some. Now there are some games I honestly wouldn't do it because I just don't want to expose. Like I don't care if Tyler's my red zone guy against Tennessee State. I don't, sure. I don't care. But against Ohio State, against USC, Clemson, Duke, Pitt, some of those bigger games in the schedule, absolutely. USC absolutely want to see that. Because like you mentioned, the mesh stuff near the goal line because teams are in man. The other big killer of man is a quarterback that can run the football because your back's going to get turned to that quarterback and there's nobody to account for him at that point. So, you know, having that ability to run the football at the quarterback position can be an absolute killer in the red zone, man. Like that's really where running quarterbacks have some of their biggest impact is the fact that they can pull it. You can do some quarterback run stuff because it's so hard to play zone coverage in the red zone. Like, it's just not easy, man, because things happen so much quicker, so much harder to pass guys off and, and, you know, to communicate as quickly as you need to in that red zone type of situation. So even a wrinkle of a running quarterback at times, I think could be beneficial. So you have size, you have a big offensive line, you have running backs to boots, you have a, a, a quarterback potentially that could have some wrinkles as far as his ability to run the football. It's not... And that that screams red zone offense to me, man. Like it just does. It screams it to me. Last one, Ryan. Third down offense. I expect this to not to be a strength of the team again. You know, surprisingly, Notre Dame was one of the better third down offenses in the country last year. They finished 13th in the country last year, and they finished seventh in 2020. So Tommy Reese, for the most part, was able to put together some really good third down offenses. And that was with an utter lack of balance this past year like incredible lack of balance this year. We had somebody in the chat that said something earlier, just a second ago. I said the fact that Notre Dame went nine and four is impressive considering the lack of explosive plays and they're bad on defense and in the red zone. And, and a big part of it, you look at it, say there weren't a lot of weapons that they used either. And they were still able to go 13th and third down rate last year. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can be on third down this year, Ryan, because, you know, I, Sam Hartman, too, in his career, if you go if you go look at it, Ryan, Sam Hartman's been a really good third down quarterback in his career as well. Wake Forest yep. last year ranked 18th in third down offense. They ranked sixth in 2021. And so his two primary years as a starter, Wake Forest was sixth and 18th. He's a really good third down quarterback, despite the fact not having hardly any kind of run game to speak of the last two years. And so those are the things you look at, Ryan, you start thinking, man, like the pieces are there because those are, and we're going to get into some of the other needs on offense, but if you can punch the ball into the end zone in the red zone and be a really good third down offense, it gives you a chance. And you say, well, how could they have been this good that last year? That's why, because they were good in the red zone. They were good on third down. It was able to overcome some of the areas where they lacked certain things that we'll get into but those things I don't expect to be as much of an issue this year, which is why I'm starting to get really fired up because I think the talent's going to be older and better. You had a like we said this in the bowl game against South Carolina, the game where Notre Dame scored 45 points and had 558 yards of offense. They started eight true sophomores on offense, eight true sophomores on offense, and so those guys are all back, Ryan. They're all back. And that's where you start getting excited and fired up about what this team can be. And yeah, yeah it, it, and red zone third down are two very important components of that for me. Well, I think that that's where that, especially with the quarterback position with Sam Hartman coming in, that's where that experience really shows itself. Right. And, and you mentioned the sophomore class. I mean, I was so excited about that sophomore class, you know, coming into this past season. And I thought you saw a lot of good out of that group. You know, the two offensive tackles, the two running backs, you know, the, the Jaden Thomas at wide receiver, Mitchell Evans to end the season in the bowl game. You saw a lot of great things out of that sophomore class. But now a year older, man, you're now looking and you're saying like, you know, if they broke out, just, you know, if, you know, some of them broke out, obviously as sophomores, but you could say, I mean, sophomore year to junior year, that's usually when the biggest jumps happen, man. That's usually when guys go from really good players to dudes really, really quickly. Now adding that in just a natural maturation on top of having a 60 year senior at quarterback, who's just kind of seen it, done it and has had a lot of game reps, right? 110 career touchdowns. That's where the third down, that's where the red zone really comes in because things happen so quickly in those types of situations, right? And you have to make quick decisions. 
I think Sam's kind of seen a lot of different things during the course of his career. So when you when you kind of combine all those things together, I think Notre Dame has a chance to be really good in those third down and those money downs and those crucial situations because you have a signal caller that's been there, done that, and you have a lot of talent around him. So clutch catches, it's going to be a big thing. But again, we go back to that size, right? To make some of those clutch catches, we have seen in Sam Hartman's career when he needed a big play, who's he going to? He's going to A.T. Perry because he's six foot four on the outside. He's going to Jamal Banks because he's six foot three on the outside. He's going to Donovan Green, who's six two, two hundred and ten pounds. Sam Hartman loves to throw to size. And I think in those crucial situations, even when Tobias Merriweather is covered, he's not actually covered. He's not actually covered. Deion Colsey, well, even when he's covered, he's not actually covered. Well, so in those money downs, I think it's going to be. Can I add something thing. to your point? That's a great point, Ryan. Yeah. But you didn't mention the guy on the roster who is by far the most proven at making plays in those situations, and it's Caleb Smith. From I mean, you go watch his Virginia Tech film last year. How many phenomenal catches did he make down the field where he's blanketed, yeah. right? Because he doesn't have great separation ability. He's a, he's a good route runner at times, but he doesn't. he's not a real fast guy. He doesn't get great separation. He just is – He's it's the quarterback last year, and I'm sh- they should have thrown it to him more. It's just one of those things where, dude, if you just put it where he can go get it, he's going to go get it. He's big, he's strong, he's long, and he has great concentration down the field. So even when he's covered, he's just another weapon that you just say, dude, throw it up there and let him go get it. That's going to be an easy transition for Sam Hartman because he likes doing that, to your point. Now it's about getting the receivers comfortable with that and throwing it a ton. Like if I'm Sam Hartman, I'm throwing a ton of back shoulders and one-on-ones in spring ball. Just yes. I'm forcing them to compete for the football. That's what I'm – and I'm well, hoping that that's the conversation that Geno Gadouli and, and Jared Parker and Chancey Stuckey have with the quarterbacks are throw it to them. If they don't make it, if they don't catch it, if they don't go fight for it, we will talk to them about it. Your job is to throw the ball out there. Then we'll get on them about it because they need the experience doing that. Dion needs more work doing that. He showed potential doing it. I mean, the catch he made against USC for a touchdown was impressive, right? He's got the tools to do it. He showed he was clutch on third down last year. It's an experience thing. Tobias, it's an experience thing. I'm throwing them a million one-on-ones, back shoulders, contested balls this year on the perimeter, a million of them in the spring. Because if you can start catching those balls on Benjamin Morrison, and I don't don't know how much we're going to see at Cam Hart this spring. He may play all spring. I don't know. I don't know where he is with his shoulder uh, rehab right now. But if Cam Hart plays and and going into the fall when he is health, whenever he's healthy, whether it's spring, summer, fall, if you're going to be able to catch with any consistency those one on ones against those guys, then you can do it on anybody on your schedule, yep. flat out, point blank. Yep. And so I, I'm every time Tobias Merriweather is in a one on one down the field with Benjamin Morrison, I'm going to throw him the ball and make him make him make a play for it. Well, and say, how know- bad do you really want this thing, man? You, you know what's crazy too, Brian, is that you have all that size outside and you have a quarterback that is very adept with throwing the ball up and giving back shoulder opportunities. You know, one part that Notre Dame cornerbacks have struggled with at times, you know, I think of like Troy Pride and even Cam Hart a little bit over the last yeah. couple of years is playing the football in the air, man. Well, <laughs> some of these quarterbacks better better get to work on that, man, because I, yes. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to improve that facet of your game. So that's – and that's the best part about spring ball is that that stuff is going to improve the other side of the ball too, like the iron sharpens iron thing, right? Like if you're Benjamin Morrison, you need to go to work to cover guys like Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather every play because those are guys that, again – when they're covered, sometimes they're still not covered. Like that's kind of the, yeah. the foregone thing that we're going for. So it could help a lot of different areas of this team, not even just, you know, the back shoulder game as far as like third downs and red zones and like those money type of plays. Well, I think the 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 fact that Sam Hartman's going to have more tight end potential production is big too. I mean, you look at last year, you know, Blake Whitehart, 6'4 guy, decent size. Not, I don't, I don't remember him being super, super athletic, Ryan. You'd be able to correct me. You've probably seen more of him he, than, he's, than I do. He's okay, he's, right? He's a pretty, he's a pretty, um, he's a nimble kid. Like he gets in and out of breaks yeah. pretty well, but he's not like straight line fast, right. really. Yeah. He had 24 catches for 295 yards. The other tight ends had a total of nine catches. So you're talking about 33 catches from the tight ends. Yep. Uh, the year before, you had 28 catches from the tight ends. In, in the year before, I mean, so in two years, the Wake Forest tight ends as a group did not catch as many passes as Michael Mayer caught in 2022. Michael Mayer alone caught in 2022. And that was Michael Mayer's 
less year when it comes to production as far as catches. So I think that's going to be a big part of this too is where a lot of his picks happened were over the middle of the field thrown to some tight areas. And and I don't know if being 6'4 as a receiver working inside is not the same as being 6'4, 245, 250 working in the middle of the field. I'm curious how that's going to impact Sam Hartman's game as well. I'm very curious how that's going to impact it.